Hello, and welcome to the NCEA podcast. Today's podcast is called Making the Grade, Standards-Based, Traditional, or Both. Our guest today is Kendall Hunter, Product Marketing Manager for Otis. For those who do not know, Otis is a corporate partner of NCEA that provides a K-12 student growth platform. Otis provides technology that empowers educators to make meaningful decisions by acting on student growth data. To learn more, please visit Otis. O-T-U-S.com. Now let's welcome our guest today, Kendall Hunter, uh, Product Marketing Manager for Otis. Like I said, um, welcome, Kendall. We're very excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you all. Yes, we're, I, you know, I know you guys have done a couple of webinars for us and you've done some different content, but it's really great to have you on the podcast and just, you know, have you on one additional channel to get you guys out there. Um, and standards-based grading is just, and grading in general as a former teacher is just such a important topic. And I feel like it's a constant shifting struggle for some educators. So I think, um, you know, especially now that a lot of our Catholic schools are kind of transitioning over to that standards-based um, if they haven't already. So I think that this is a great topic for you guys. Um, but before we jump into this, let's go ahead and start with just telling us a little bit about yourself. Sure, absolutely. Well, thank you again for having me here. Kendall Hunter, I'm the product marketing manager at Otis. I've been at Otis almost four years now, which really is just crazy to think about. Um, as you mentioned, Otis helps educators and school leaders to really visualize and act on student data uh, and that's a mission that's really close and important to me because I started out in the classroom uh, trying to do just that, put together all of the different data points to be able to see my students. Uh, I was a middle school special education teacher for seven years. I also taught high school English in Beijing. So I've had some diverse experiences working in really a variety of settings, especially as a special education teacher. I you know, had a self-contained class at one point. I co-taught. I worked in um, several districts. I'm also a certified reading specialist. Uh, and at Otis, I initially started out helping school districts, really K-12 across the country, to use us as a tool to support their assessment and grading goals. So I do have that perspective of someone who's used traditional grading, standards-based grading, and then been on the other end as a third party, really supporting school district leaders and teachers to navigate the waters of standards-based grading as they look to really provide um, clear feedback to their students on where they are. So this topic also very relevant and important to me. Uh, and I am a product of a 12-year uh, Catholic school education, so even more excited to be on the podcast today. Uh, as a product of that, I went to Catholic school in the Chicago suburbs where I was born and raised. Um, so yeah, just really excited to be here and be a part of the conversation. I did not use standards-based grading as a student, but I've definitely been on the other end of it from the very beginning as an educator, and I'm excited to just kind of share what I've seen and what we think works and just some different perspectives on the topic. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I know as, you know, with, with educators, the better we understand something, the better we are at explaining it. And it's, you know, being able to explain it at those different levels of explaining it from an administrator to a teacher, but also from a teacher to a student or a teacher to a parent so that they understand the transition as well, because it's often something that, you know, a school will do for the betterment of the students. But then, you know, how do we explain that to, to not only our teachers, but also to um, the community at large. So I think it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that today. That's such a huge piece. Communication is just absolutely critical and buy-in. Um, 
two really important pieces to any rollout of any initiative, but especially grading because grades are so important. Absolutely. So why don't we go ahead and start with just explaining the different grading styles that schools or teachers can utilize? Um, You know, where, where have we started? Where are we going? Those types of things. Sure. Absolutely. Um, So really having worked with schools across the country who are using Otis, I think it's safe to say that there's really three main categories of grading that we see. Now, certainly there's edge cases or more niche grading scales and settings that we see. Um, But for the most part, we see schools using traditional points. So when I say traditional points, I'm just talking about the way that like I was assessed growing up. Jessica, you probably grew up, you know, earning an 80%. That might have been a B or maybe an 85% was a B. Um, That real traditional points based grade, five out of 10 on the assessment. Uh, We still see schools using that. But we also see schools starting to integrate standards-based grading into their systems and either going all into standards-based grading over time or really using a hybrid of both. I would say um, the hybrid is what I've seen in my work with schools over the last few years being the most common. After schools start to get comfortable with standards-based grading, I do see some go all in and move away from the points because they've really created that buy-in around Uh, the value of standards-based grading, uh, but that traditional points, standards-based or hybrid are the bulk of what I've seen school districts using to really provide students with feedback. Um, And Otis has a really robust suite of grading tools, and so educators can provide students with a traditional points grade, like that 80% that you you and I may have earned in our classes growing up, while also assessing standards really holistically to see progress on a given skill. And I think that's why we see that hybrid so often. So just kind of to give you an example here, um, putting my reading specialist hat on, maybe we're working on text evidence in our class. In a traditional grading system, you know, I submit something and maybe I earned an 85%. That score is an 85% on that one task. That's what I earned for that text evidence skill. Uh, With standards-based grading in Otis, you can take that top-level skill, citing text evidence, and really see like all of the attempts over time. Because we don't very often work on something only once, right? We want to provide multiple attempts, best practice, give students lots of opportunities to demonstrate their learning. So you can take that skill and see all of the corresponding attempts over time so that every stakeholder can really follow that growth journey. Maybe I started out at approaching and now I'm meeting. That tells us so much more than just 85% on that exit ticket or 85% on that test. We can really take any skill and see every attempt over time, whether it's formative or summative, whatever it may be. It's really just following that journey. Uh, And the data that you get from that can really be used to drive instruction, which is where we see that buy-in come in, is when educators feel the ease of sifting through that data to determine where are students at? Because if you think about it, whether I had an 85% or you had an 80, we've got different points-based scores there, but do we both need to work on the same skill? Like where does that reflect where we are? When we see schools starting to look at the standard and the performance level on that standard, and maybe even like bucketing students, here's my kids who are not meeting. Maybe that in a traditional world would have been like zero to 50. I don't know whatever it may be, these are all the kids who are not meeting. We need to do something else. So we see a lot of educators buying into that grading system with the standards and moving away from the hybrid or keeping both just to kind of um, 
live in that neutral territory because of the value that they get from those um, standards-based scores. And I will say a big piece of this, you kind of alluded to it, um, as far as the different grading scales we see is really the education of the community. Um, as families become more familiar with standards-based grading scores, I do see schools moving away. Uh, but because not a lot of current family member or current aged parents of students in school experience standards-based grading themselves, it can kind of cause a bit of stress, right? Like I get my report card and I see all these different words, meets, uh, approving, or, or I'm sorry, approaching, or maybe a one through four scale. And families are like, what do I do with this? Does the, do they have an A or do they have a B? But as that education piece comes into play and families can really start to see like, oh, I know what my student's strengths are. My student, my child knows what their strengths are because of this new language. I do think that shift happens, but um, it's totally okay to live in a little bit of a hybrid of both while you're engaging in those conversation shifts. And especially if you're middle school or high school, we do see a lot more of those teachers wanting that traditional points-based grade, but they're all using the standards to drive instruction. So whether you need to have that on the report card or have that to communicate with families, we definitely understand that. You know, we support schools really doing all of these grading scales, but we definitely see the teachers using the standards, the administrators using the standards, and that's what's driving the day to day. Um, but grading scales in general, it's just a communication tool. So what matters most is how what you use communicates with the larger community and helps, you know, our students understand this is me as a learner. No, absolutely. Exactly what you're saying. And I, I think back to when I was teaching eighth grade and I had gone up from teaching second to eighth grade. And so second, we use standards-based grading all the time because we had gone away from the point system because of mental health and different things that were happening in and outside of the classroom. And at that age, kids, they don't know if they got eight, you know, they know they got eight out of 10, but they don't know what that means. So we use standards-based grading. Transitioning for the middle schoolers was a lot more difficult because they're so used to that points-based system. And that's what they track their grades in online versus, you know, in their, you know, in their different grading applications or grade book applications that we had at the time. But then when they got their report card and it was all based on standards, they're like, what is this? What do you mean that I don't have an A and I have a meets expectations? <laughs> you know, and I think communication is one of the biggest keys, but also understanding, you know, clearly understanding the differences and how they work together is really important. Um, so as we move through these, Okay, so how do the different grading scales communicate student performance? So how do they work together and kind of, you know, give an overall picture of where the student's at? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, and when I think about this, grading scales really do exactly what your question asks, right? They communicate, pro they should communicate progress and performance. And when we think about the different grading scales, I think as educators, we often just need to ask ourselves how clear the scale is even to us. And I had a moment when I was thinking through points-based grading myself as a teacher, um, my school district actually went through a three-year adoption of standards-based grading. Yes, three years of professional development before we ever even had families or students engaging in like looking at standards-based scores, which really gave me a lot of my insight as to that's, where- That's amazing because you don't hear that often. <laughs> you don't hear that often. You know, each year- at the end of the year, they were like, we're still not ready. So initially it started out as like, we're going to have one year of professional development. We're going to lay the ground. We're going to build our rubrics. And then at the end of the year, they surveyed us and we were like, we're still not there yet. We're just not ready to get students and families in. And 
being a responsive leader. But kudos, well. kudos to that district for listening to their teachers and understanding where they were. I know we did ours in phases as well, and I think it was like a three-year phase. But it was first year K five was like you're doing it, <laughs> and a lot of teachers just weren't there yet. And you know, I, kudos to them. So sorry to interrupt you, but no. kudos to them for that. <laughs> Honestly, whenever I tell somebody three years, they're like, wow, that's amazing. And I know not every school has that length of time or may even have, you know, the bandwidth as leaders to put that much time into. And they really just want to get it off the ground, like start small or, um, you know, don't start at all type of mindset. You have to start somewhere. But the time spent laying the groundwork really ensured a smooth rollout. Um, But as I was going through that process, I started to ask myself as I was creating assessments, um, I didn't have like a set curriculum, so I would build a lot of things on my own. Um, I would start to ask myself, like, how many points should this be out of? Is each question worth one point? Is the essay worth five points? Okay, is this 10 or 20? And I, quite honestly, I was really just making it up. I was looking at the question, the rigor. It's like, okay, this should be worth this. And I had to ask myself, if I don't even know how to structure the points on this given assignment, how are my students going to understand how I'm assessing them and where I got that from? So fast forward to rubrics and digging into those. Now, of course, this was like seven years ago at this point. Um, Now I know rubrics are much more common, but we started to explore rubrics as a way to really clearly define, whether it was points or standards, what the skill is and what each level looks like. And that to me is how a grading scale should communicate student performance and progress. So whether that rubric is out of five points and there's five levels or four points, or you don't even use points and you're using a language like meets, approaching, exceeding, or mastery language, um, quite honestly, the language doesn't matter. It's the description of the learning that to me matters and helped me as an educator to really conceptualize what we were working on and what that looked like. And I think That was just a shift in my own practice that still to this day in working with educators comes into play when I work with people trying to build rubrics because it's that conversation that you have around, okay, here's the rubric, here's the levels of the rubric that we're going to have. What does that actually look like as a product? And then as a student, I can start to think about, okay, how do I demonstrate that? Do I have the skill set to demonstrate that? And I think that's just such an important piece around how grading scales should communicate performance because they should be clear. And if I, as an educator, am questioning how I'm grading or questioning what kind of feedback I'm providing, or if it's even clear, it's probably not clear. So that really is uh, an important part of what I think a grading scale should do is just communicate where you are in progression uh, to the to any learning standard. Maybe you're working on five standards and you have a number of strengths, but some areas of opportunity. And that's Um, what I think standards-based grading does really well. Um, I will say Otis has a very robust rubric assessment that our educators love uh, because it can be side-by-side with a product. So let's say you outline each of the standards that you're working on and maybe a project-based learning task, and students have a variety of options for how they can submit a learning artifact. Maybe they're going to work in a Google Doc, or maybe they're going to record video. Maybe they've got a number of different ways they can demonstrate that skill. You can see that side by side with a rubric, which to me is just such a powerful tool because we can say to our student, okay, here's your product. Here's what I was assessing you on. Show me in your product where this is. And if they can't find it, it's really just a tool to communicate, right? We don't have to, it doesn't have to be punitive. It can simply be, here's an opportunity to review the criteria and then show me that. 
Um, so whether your points are standards based, I think, you know, the best thing your grading scale should do is clearly communicate. I was going to say one of the major benefits of rubrics is that there's no harm in providing them ahead of time to the students. And like you said, bringing in that voice and choice back into the classroom where students are able to communicate, you know, what, whether or not they've met a standard through a choice of a presentation or a Google Doc or maybe making a movie, you know. It, it makes learning fun again, but it also allows you to assess where they are on that standard. Um, and you can provide those rubrics ahead of time so that students are able to look and see where they are. And then, you know, have that conversation of justifying where they, you know, where you felt they were and where they're, where they could show maybe where they were on that rubric in some other way. Absolutely. And especially as more educators are personalizing learning and differentiating in the classroom, I think using tools like a really common, a really clear grading scale helps those conversations and that data-driven instruction to be a bit easier. Uh, having tried to use data to drive instruction when I was in the classroom, I spent half the time pulling it together and then much less time focused on the lesson because I couldn't get those quick insights. And I think when we're all using a common language, we're familiar with it, we know how we're being assessed. And personally, I think when the scale is a little bit smaller, it's a little bit easier to see how students are performing. So if I have an 80%, does that really tell me what the teacher needs to do? 80%. What does that mean? Are we looking, you know, if it's a math uh, assessment, was it a couple of the geometry skills? Was it measurement? Like what exactly do I need to focus on as I personalize that instruction? And that's really where we see Otis helping educators, because when you have a common way to assess students and a grading scale in a system that's available for teachers, you collect data in similar ways. So when you go to use our analytics, you can actually very easily with just one click find all of the students who are performing below level on a given standard or above level for extension opportunities. So aligning on the grading scale and communicating clearly with families and students, so key, so critical. But on the back end of things, the work for teachers as to how we use this data also is so critical. And when we have that common scale, it really makes it easier for maybe I'm not the ELA teacher, but I'm the science teacher and they're struggling with some of the texts in my class and I want to look at that data. Okay, I don't need to, you know, 75%. That doesn't really tell me if they struggle with reading informational text. Maybe I want to look at those standards and see that progress. Uh, and that's where we see, you know, educators beginning to have those conversations and just better supporting the whole child to develop as a result of um, you know, things that they've always been doing, but just collecting the data in a different way and communicating that performance a bit more clearly. And correct me if I'm wrong, Otis allows you to look at not only like a rubric or a standards-based grading assessment that you've done as a teacher, but it also integrates, you know, if they're doing a, a testing platform, you know, a standardized testing platform that we're using in any of our schools, there's a variety of them out there, but you guys work with those to keep a running track of everything. It's not just you know, a teacher's curriculum, but you guys have kind of a data bank of everything for that student. Is that right? Yep, that's exactly right. So educators can give assessments in Otis. A rubric is just one type. We also have thousands of pre-created standards aligned assessments that will auto score, help teachers to collect data on student present levels very easily. But we also integrate with what we call third party data, but you just might call like your, if you take the state test or NWEA map or Renaissance Star, maybe that's benchmarking, maybe it's diagnostic, 
we can inherit all of that data. We have a full team who does all that heavy lifting for school leaders. So um, as part of an implementation, we would work to bring in all of that data. So when your team gets into Otis, sure, they can log in and see the scores on a recent rubric assessment and their Google Doc side by side with the product. But they can also, in that same page, look at a student's score on a different measure that may have been done outside of Otis. So you really have that full picture of performance which is just so important because, you know, we need multiple measures to help us understand where students are at. Well, I'm going to throw one more thing. I know it's off topic, but I'm going to throw it in here because I think it was one of my biggest struggles as a Catholic school educator is that it sounds like you guys have really set up so that you can even be assessing on those religion standards that we really are trying to give a clear picture or those ethics standards that we're trying to give a clear picture on, on how our students are growing in the whole, you know, as a whole student. So you're able to integrate assessments based on the faith or based on the great, you know, the different diocesan level standards that schools have, which is a really neat thing that not a lot of people are able to do, not a lot of organizations are able to do. Yes, absolutely. So we call that like a custom standard. So whether you're working on reading literature or it's one of your um, standards that students are working towards in their school community, that's a bit more specific to their you know, religion. Um, those are available in there and you can provide feedback on those standards. So we work with schools to make sure that the way the system is set up reflects what they need to do. So you may need to provide feedback on academic standards, but some schools provide feedback on things like student skills, like cooperation or citizenship, or um, I think you mentioned the diocesan standards as well, which is absolutely something that educators can provide feedback on and you know really communicate the whole child to the student themselves and different areas that you know are strengths as well as areas of opportunity. Thank you. Sorry, I just wanted to make sure that that was said in there as well, because it's it's definitely something that I know has been a major ask of a lot of our Catholic schools is how do we how do we communicate, you know, our standards for religion or different things that are just not a a typical what you would see in a typical like public school or, or charter school, because we do have those extra kind of beneficial standards for um, that whole child in, in Catholic education. Um, but back to kind of our original conversation. <laughs> um, what um, I think the next real big point is talking about with sta- with these different types of grading, how do grades carry? You know, how do they, how do we look at them as a yearly picture versus, you know, when you had standards-based grading, you would get an A for semester one, and then you would get like a B for semester two, and those didn't really correlate with one another. So how does it look doing those grades carrying across throughout the year? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So, you know, all a grade should do is indicate a current level, a snapshot of performance at the time or at the end of a marking period, whenever it may be. Now, the beauty of Otis is that you don't have to have defined intervals for when you're viewing that snapshot. All the data is available in live time. So if today, February 15th, people want to log into Otis and see where the child is at, you've got that. You don't have to wait for that printed paper-based report card. Of course, we do generate report cards, but you don't have to wait for that for the data to be available. You can log in and see the whole child in all of their different areas and how they're performing. And that meaning that the grade carries is custom and defined by every school. Um, So no two schools have to have the same setup. We actually see a lot of K-5 grade levels within one building, maybe a K-8 building, K-5 set up completely different than 6-8 because we have to be responsive to the population we're working with. I know you mentioned you were standards-based grading when you're an elementary teacher, and some of those middle school teachers still are using different setups. So the meaning that the grade carries 
is determined at the administrator level for every school because you can customize a grading scale. Um, but what's really great about standards-based grading in Otis is the school gets the ability to define a grade. So they can communicate with maybe K-5 what their scale looks like, what each level of the scale looks like, and then 6-8 can have a totally different setup or language that they use, which is so, so important. Um, and that definition of each level of the scale is set already for teachers. So maybe I'm a sixth grade teacher and we're using Otis. I log in, I see my grading scale. I see that there's five levels. I see that each level is defined. I don't have to do the work to create that. It's done already for me. It's ready to go. I can simply use that to provide feedback on any of those learning, academic, religion standards so that the student is, so the conversation is more focused on, you know, the student and where they're at. Um, what's great is that really helps to align everyone. And that's a huge challenge with any shift in anything new really is getting everyone on the same page so that we're all seeing things through a similar lens. And um, that's what's really nice about Otis is you work with, you know, your school leader works with our team before anybody ever logs in to make sure that things are set up that way so that the meaning that the grade carries is clear, defined, and reflects your school's individual goals. Um, a nice feature about our grading scales is when you do generate a report card, because inevitably, you know, report cards are part of life for many schools. Um, and we, you know, you, all of your assessments and grades that are right in the grade book, just feed into a report card. So there's no extra work there. You can even select the standards that you want to appear on that because maybe you're assessing like 15 standards, but you want to report out on five for families at that particular time. Uh, but you can actually have the definition of your grading scale included on a report card, which I think is so important because families may not know what that means, right? We can assume approaching means we're getting there, but we can define that and that can be included with common language. So, you know, the sixth grade family member gets their report card with their clear language defined. The second grader, if it's not the same, gets theirs and we can start to build um, that consistency. And Well, and that's that's so amazing because I remember so many conversations of like parents trying to correlate a meets with an A or, or an exceeds with an A and, you know, a meets with a B is a B. And so uh, approaching is a C and they're like, in Catholic education, if you're getting a C, you're not doing something right. So <laughs> there's a common misconception about how, you know, grades should correlate to these standards you know, to these standards and meeting and approaching and things. And that's just not what it is. That's not how it works. That's not what it's defined as. So having those specific def definitions uh, broken out by grade level is a really cool feature that you're able to do. Absolutely. And, and that's really where we find a tool should make the shift or support a shift to any different grading system easier, right? A tool shouldn't make it harder. Otis isn't the initiative. School Catholic schools are implementing standards-based grading to provide better or more valuable feedback on where a child is. Otis is just the tool that helps them to provide the feedback. We're not the initiative. We don't want your focus to be using Otis. We want your focus to be what you're already working on, but supporting that by making the communication of you know your grading scale, of your standards-based levels, or just of that data so that the student, the family, the teacher, the school leader, everyone can go in and see holistically where a student is and then at the admin or teacher level where the class is because it's so important to know overall here's how my class breaks down and that's that's what a good system does right the system should not take away from the initiative it should simply make it easier to communicate with all of your stakeholders
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I know I cut you off there. So were there any other points that you wanted to make on grades, Carrie? <laughs> no, no, we definitely covered it in that little bit of conversation at the end there. But I, I really just think, you know, for every school, you probably already have a scale or language that you're using and a good system. So it should just mesh with that, right? You don't have to change anything to use ed tech, education technology should just support what you're already doing and make it easier. So those customizations, if you're not currently using a tool to communicate standards performance, one of my biggest suggestions when evaluating any tool is, you know, look for those customizations, look for those that support. If you don't already have a scale, have a team who has education experience that can guide you to look at the options and evaluate what's best for your community. I think those are really important points as any school leader evaluates a platform. Yes, absolutely. Um, so as we're talking about these different grading scales, we have common struggles, common misconceptions, like I said a little bit ago. Um, what are some of those common struggles that you tend to see with the different grading styles? Yeah, that's a great question. I think across the board, the communication and aligning on what that communication looks like for all groups can be a struggle. Um, and being consistent, right? So if there is a population who's pushing back against a grading scale or not really bought into it, you know, how do we continue to try to get their buy-in because we see the greater value as a school leadership team in implementing what is, you know, becoming best practice. So, you know, creating a consistent language around why we're doing something, actually taking the time to educate folks on the why too, right? Because, I mentioned I went through a three-year adoption. I know I'm fortunate to have had a lot of professional development on that, but the along with the consistency and communication, we all need some background knowledge. So why is this happening? You know, maybe I've been an educator for 30 years and I've been doing something for 30 years and it's working. I've seen it work. I've seen my you know students grow up, be successful, contribute to the world. Like, why are we making this change now? So helping to educate um, the whole larger community is just not necessarily a struggle, but it, it's something that takes a little bit more work. And you have to be thoughtful about that as a school leader. What does your implementation plan role, your implementation rollout look like? You know, have we as a leadership team clearly clearly defined everything before we bring it to teachers? I always suggest that. It's always good to have your your rationale, your plan, you know, come prepared because Teachers have a lot of stuff to do. We wear lots of hats. We're very busy. They don't necessarily want to be involved in the building of all of the things on the back end that they're going to be implementing. They want to know that it's done for them. The research is, you know, has been done to make sure that this is the right way to do something. So certainly evaluating all the options is important. Um, and then that family communication piece um, can be a struggle just because, you know, making sure all families have access to the information, making sure that families understand the why, helping to get them on board. Um, I was just talking with an administrator last week who told me that when she um, moved to standards-based grading, a, a family member came into the office very upset and was like, well, we got our, our new report card and I, I pay my child for A's. You know, I, I need to know how much money to pay This was that. so common. This was so common, you know, when I was younger. Everybody got allowance based on their grade. <laughs> do they get $10? Like, how much do I need? I'm paying them for A's. My child wants to be paid out. They said they did well, but I'm not understanding this. And the administrator had to take the time to walk them through like, okay, you know, 
this is something that we're doing. We're no longer providing that. Like this is the language that we're using. So you decide how that translates into paying out your child, but really getting them on board because it's like we all have, I I can be stuck in my ways as a human, right? We get comfortable, Um, but consistency, communication, having a plan and really just evaluating what's best for your community. I think similar to how we teach, right? Like where are we at as a present level? as educators, as families, like what do, what's our present level? Mm-hmm. Where do we want to be? And then how do we build the steps to get there? Um, well, and, and with that communication piece, it's consistent communication too, right? Like it's, I, I remember a lot of times working in, in at schools and they, administrators would present something at back to school night and they would say, okay, I did it. I communicated it out. We're, we're good. And it's like, okay, but not every family and not every parent, you know, we have to have clear, consistent communication, whether that's now recording your back to school night or recording your presentation and getting it out there or having follow-up memos or parent newsletters that go out about it. It needs to be consistent, especially when you're adopting something like standards-based grading, um, just so that, you know, you have multiple modes. It takes people something along the lines of eight or nine times to hear something before they actually like start to comprehend it. (laughs) So it has to be a very consistent, especially in those first few years. I completely agree. We just have to keep trying and eventually it does stick. Um, But you know, there's always something buzzy and new in every industry that is not unique to education exclusively. So it's just letting folks know, like in our community, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. And we're going to continue to build your capacity so that you can understand it and have those important conversations with your child at home. Yeah. And going off that a little bit more, what can teachers and administrators do specifically to support parents and understanding what standards-based grading is? Yeah, um, I definitely have heard of some of our schools providing families with the same literature that's used for teachers, sharing out YouTube videos. So just continuing the education. Um, I know when I was a teacher, my school actually had like a website. So if you were one of the parents who wanted to get in the weeds, we had a website with all the resources, uh, but making those things available, right? Because it shouldn't be a secret how we're assessing. We've been talking about grades as a means or vehicle for communicating performance. So we just have to continue communicating and defining what we're doing to assess students with those family members. And no matter what method you're using that shift and that communi- that communication is going to help that shift and eliminate that pushback a, a bit more and, you know, planning that out, what that looks like. Um, I will say, I heard you mention back to school night. We have a lot of Otis school districts who actually have like an Otis table at every back to school night. And they're like, hey, if you need help figuring out how to access these grades or look at this data, like we have folks who can help you do that so that administrators can focus on the larger, you know, support of the community and we can help with the Otis um, piece of that. You know, we have a rock star team of former educators. I'm not alone in my uh, background as a teacher, like a very, very large uh, portion of the Otis team is a former educator. So a lot of times we make videos for schools or hold live trainings with families throughout the year where we'll say like, hey, we've been talking about this shift to grading. Are you ready to get in and look at some data and see, you know, a standard? Because families aren't sure what standards. Like that. Not a, I, I don't know very many parents who can roll out the five, and the five standards we're working on in math this quarter. But if you log into your Otis account, you can see those. You can look at all the attempts and you can say, hey, Kendall, I noticed that 
you know, on this particular assessment, you were not meeting multiple times. Like, let's talk about that. When was that? What was the task? You can really engage in conversations around the data. And the data isn't hard to access, but a lot of times families want some handholding as they're doing that because it's new and we need support. I, I love support. Even if I can figure it out, I want someone to help me navigate that. So that's something that's really great. That's just part of Otis and part of who we are is we do um, offer to support schools in whatever way makes sense for them. Lots of administrators, you know, they don't want Otis to lead the training. They want to help families navigate and have that conversation on their own. But plenty also tap into us and say like, hey, help me create a video that I'm going to send out, as you said, in every newsletter. Here's the link to the Otis video. Here's why and how you can access a standard and look at the performance over time. And we see that, like you said, it takes multiple attempts to get things to stick. But once folks are in there and looking at the data, the wealth of information that's available to them in one place is such a game changer. You know, maybe you participate in NWEA map or some kind of measure where, you know, families get the printout in the mail or, you know, the child brings that home. And then you start to use Otis for senior space grading and you've got their data in there and they're looking and they're like, oh, there's that score there. Oh, okay. Here's how these two look side by side. It's it's kind of like you're dangling something interesting in front of them and they go in and they're like, oh, I'm going to go deeper down the rabbit hole here. And we start to see over time that that really helps folks understand where their child is in, in a more meaningful way. Um, well, but yeah, it sounds like it sounds like this could be such a tool and, and really take some pressure off teachers as well, because parents now have access to know where exactly their students are struggling, which means that when they're working with things like tutors or um or other support staff, you know, like you said, you were reading specialists when they're working with those other um, outside of the homeroom classroom teacher, they have the ability to say, here's what standard my student is struggling on. Can you please provide resources to do that? Um, and it almost takes, because I remember, again, when I was teaching, having to try to, you know, pull kids out like small group which is great. It's absolutely something that should be in the classroom. But then when you had those kids that were getting extra help outside, having to pull together materials to send home with their tutor or their, um, or their parents to support. And this kind of sets you up to already know so that you don't have to dig through your data and try and figure it out. 100%. We actually see that use case quite a bit, um, especially following the pandemic. There's a lot of, you know, school-age children who are getting additional support outside of the classroom. Families, you know, seeking tutoring resources. And what's great about Otis is a family member can give someone like a tutor access to the child's account. So they can see, of course, you know, at Otis, we protect everyone's data. So it would have to be the family member saying, this is the individual supporting my student. We want them to see their data. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they can pull that up and say, okay, I can very clearly see these are the three skills we need to work on. I don't need to sift through, you know, a bunch of um, papers to try to figure out where you're getting things wrong. Like we can see the skill, we can see that there's room for growth and we can hone in on it. So it does make and the that parent can track it, track it. So you can then yeah. see the work that, you know, the tutor is putting in and how the growth is happening. So that there's at least a little bit of correlation between the two versus, you know, having somebody come in and support your child and you not knowing where it, if any growth is happening or if there's any sort of payoff from that. So there's little um, line graph that you can follow. So this is where they were before we invested in a tutor. This is how they're growing now that they've been getting that. Um, or even if it's just in-class support, lots right. of making that data available. Hey, they've been an intervention. And since they've been in an intervention, maybe they've gotten a small group pullout for some reading support. 
since they've gotten in that, we're seeing that trend line go up. So that looking at data over time piece is just so huge because how are we supposed to know what students need next if we can't follow the path to where they are now? Right. So let's um, shift to talking about the students. So, you know, student motivation is such a key piece to educating a student. They have to be motivated and really be interested in wanting to learn in order, you know, it doesn't happen by osmosis. They have to participate. So how do these grading styles and grading policies help with student motivation or tie to it in some way? It's a really great question. And I have to say, I've been on a, a quite a few webinars talking about standards-based grading and almost every time without fail, somebody in the Zoom chat will say like, and what about the child who doesn't do any of their work? And in my head, it's like, what about them? They weren't doing their work before with this grading scale. Like they're not doing it with this. We have to find someone, something else to support that child because in my opinion, the reality is if you struggle with motivation with an 80%, if you get a does not meet, that doesn't change anything. We still have to motivate students who are not as motivated. So does a grading scale fix motivation? Not really a grading scale communicates. We as teachers still need to focus on what we can control. So you know, what I, especially as a former special education teacher, I had a lot of students with diverse needs, a lot of students who work completion was the reason that they had, you know, an IEP. They often struggled with executive functioning, needed support in that capacity. And I can tell you right now, some of my students had zeros for an entire quarter and it did not change anything. In fact, it deterred them from wanting to engage in the learning because there was just constant negativity around it. So rather than getting hung up on, you know, the grading scale is going to be a, a band-aid for every motivation issue in the school community, because the reality is that you know, there is no quick fix for that. We have to build that relationship and uh, make investments in the child's emotional piggy bank to really get them engaged. Um, I think educators really just need to focus on what we can't control. And what we can control is how we motivate the unmotivated, how we motivate students who struggle with work completion to engage in their academics rather than grading as a penalty. Because grading as a penalty, if it worked, it would have already been the solution decades ago when I remember, you know, students getting an F and throwing the paper in the garbage. Like I've seen, I've been on in the classroom, seen that I've been an educator and I've seen that. And it's the same across grading scales, at least from what I've seen. If you do have a grading scale that motivates students who are unmotivated, I would love to hear about it because I've yet to experience one. Um, but yeah, if we're constantly working to create an engaging and relevant learning experience while also building relationships with students and helping them to feel safe and supportive, I think the rest will follow. Grading is simply a, a tool to communicate. It's not that, you know, all, uh, end all be all fixed to anything that, you know, students are going to struggle and they're going to need support. And there's going to be students who you give, you know, an A to and that motivates them to try harder. And there's going to be students you give an F to and that still doesn't motivate them. Um, but what I will say, and what we have seen a, a lot of educators experience success with, you kind of alluded to this before, was some of those religion standards that um, our Catholic school educators may be assessing. We see a lot of schools providing feedback on, I'm going to call it like a student skill or, you know, other areas of the whole child so that you can say, hey, here's where you are academically. Like maybe you actually really can demonstrate this standard, but here's where you are with some of those really important student skills that we all need to develop to be a contributing member of society. And here's where those two stack up. Like here's where you are academically, you're demonstrating it on the assessment, you did it. But on all the homework, 
you haven't turned any in. So, and that's something that's just a part of life, right? Like we, I, we all have a job. We have things we have to do. Some of them count, some of them don't count. Like if we want to build up other areas of the student. We see a lot of schools using rubrics with standards that reflect the guiding principles of their school and providing feedback on that. And how valuable is it to a conversation with a student or a family member to be able to say like, here's that academic piece, but here's those other skills that are super important to us as a community that we need to focus on. And maybe then we start working on some of those executive functioning skills or look at, you know, do we need some SEL support because the student's not engaging in any group work. They're doing great on their own. We go to groups and then they put their head down. Like, why is that? What do we need to look at? Um, so I haven't seen a lot of success with grading scales, you know, totally turning around the motivation of the classroom. I think teachers should continue doing what they do best all the time, which is being the exciting, engaging and committed educators that they are. Um, but if a school wants to provide that feedback, Otis is perfect for that. We have lots of schools that identify custom behaviors that they're focused on, like cooperation, citizenship is a huge one, whether that be digital citizenship or just citizenship. Um, we have schools that you know use language for volunteering um, and provide feedback on that. Here's where you are as far as those you know other skills, the non-academic skills, and we can still provide just as valuable feedback. And you know at those conferences or when we're meeting with our students, we can kind of separate those two out and really see where students are as a whole child. Right, that's that's wonderful. Thank you so much for discussing all of this with me today. It's it's such an important topic, and I absolutely love talking about it. Um, do you have any additional points that you kind of wanted to add in there? Um, anything we might have missed just before we sign off from this lovely podcast? <laughs> well, thank you again for having me. It was really such a great chat. Um, the last thing I would just say is that, you know, having used Otis as an educator in my own special education classroom and now being at Otis, I've really seen our platform grow and adapt to meet the changing needs of educators over the last four years. And I truly, truly believe in the value that we provide our K-12 uh, Catholic schools. There's so many time consuming tasks that I know I did before Otis that took time away from communicating with students, helping them grow planning those engaging lessons so that the motivation and uh, energy of my class was there. And I just think Otis is really a game changer for K-12 Catholic schools. So I definitely would suggest reaching out. Uh, we do support, you know, standards-based, traditional hybrid grading, as we talked about today. We've got assessments that are pre-built, ready to use, aligned to standards that you could build your own, like those rubrics we talked about. And when you have all the data in one place, it makes it a whole lot easier to use data to drive instruction. And then create those plans to progress monitor students. And all of that can be done in Otis. So we definitely would love to just continue the conversation around how we can support um, you know, more Catholic schools. So this is a really exciting partnership for us and we're excited to continue growing our community. Uh, we are otusotis.com. So definitely check it out and uh, we'd love to continue the conversation. Perfect. And thank you again. Um, if our listeners wanted to talk more about this topic, um, I know you said Otis.com, but is there a specific way or email address that they could reach you at to follow up on any questions regarding standard-based grading or any grading style? 
Yeah, I would love to connect with more members of the community. So I'm Kendall, K-E-N-D-E-L-L at Otis.com. Uh, or if you fill out, there's a form on our website to get in touch with us. We get all of that as well. So uh, if you mentioned NCEA there, I'd love to continue the conversation that way as well. But you're welcome to reach out by email. We'd love to stay in touch with educators who are making the transition, thinking about it. Uh, always a soundboard, always just want to have those good, valuable conversations around where schools are at and where they want to go. So whether you're interested in Otis or not, we'd love to just get to know your initiatives and see how we might be a fit. Awesome. Thank you. And Otis will actually be joining us at NCEA convention, NCEA 2023 in Dallas, Irving, Texas here in April. Um, so just as a heads up to all of our listeners, you can definitely learn more um, if you're able to join us at our NCEA convention. Oh, and I'll uh, be there too. Oh, so I'm, oh, perfect. I'll be educators. I'll be in Dallas. I actually actually haven't been to Dallas, so I'm really excited. I haven't been since I was in high school, maybe so about a long time. Uh, this is it's such a great location. We're at um, it's there's a little strip of shops, but we have the Toyota Music Factory and um, the Irving Convention Center, and so we have events happening all throughout um, the walkway. And then you guys obviously will be in the exhibit hall as well in our corporate partner pavilion. So we would encourage any of our listeners to join us um, at NCEA 2023, and you can learn more about that at ncea.org backslash NCEA 23. So thank you again, and thank you to all of our listeners, and I hope that everyone has an amazing day. So thank you. Thanks.